Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this day to gather with your people. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us now through your word, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. That's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, have you ever wondered if this whole Jesus thing is really worth it? I know that sounds like a very blunt question, but no doubt it's a question that has probably crossed many of your minds. Have you ever paused and asked yourself if you believe that what's found in this book is really true? Because what's in here is either true or it's not. And if not, those that orient their lives around what's found in the Bible are wasting their time. After all, the Apostle Paul himself said this in his first letter to the Corinthians about the resurrection of Jesus. One of the central teachings of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. And just three verses later, verse 17, he stated it this way. If Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Now what this book, the Bible, tells us and teaches us is foundational to our faith. What we believe hinges on this book. Now I'm not advocating that we reject any of the truth claims of this book. In fact, I wholeheartedly embrace them, and joyfully so. But it is a necessary step in every single one of our lives, in our own personal faith, that we pause and that we legitimately and reasonably ask ourselves, do we believe this book and what is found in it? I want us to see this morning... From God's word that biblical worship involves trusting God to save his people by his grace. Biblical worship involves trusting God to save his people by his grace. Now questioning the validity of God's words is not a new practice. In fact, The people, the Israelites, God's covenant people in Malachi's day found themselves doing that very thing. And we'll see it this morning from Malachi chapter 3. So I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3. And two weeks ago, not two weeks ago, excuse me, last week, last Sunday, we looked at Malachi chapter 3 verses 6 through 12. And we saw that God... Because he is faithful, because he is a faithful God, he desires to bless his people for their repentance before him and their faithful giving to him. And this week, this morning, we're going to pick up in the very next passage of Scripture, beginning in Malachi chapter 3, verse 13. Malachi chapter 3, verse 13. And let's begin by reading verses 13 through 15. You have said harsh things Against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? 
You have said it is futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper and even those who challenge God escape. Now if you've been paying very close attention this summer as we have journeyed through the book of Malachi, you know this particular passage, those three verses, sound very similar to another passage that we've already covered. At the end of chapter 2 and at the beginning of chapter 3, the Israelites, the people of God in Malachi's day, were questioning the justice of God. They were looking around and they were seeing wicked people, people that served pagan gods and worshiped pagan gods. They were seeing them prosper And they began to question God and the justice of God, saying, where is the God of justice? And God reminded them that he is indeed a God of justice, that his nature does not change, and that his justice will be carried out. His judgment will come if they will only wait. But now in this passage, verses 13 through 15 of chapter 3, these people become even more direct because they're not only questioning God's justice as it relates to the wicked, But they're going so far as to say that it is futile, it is useless, it is meaningless to serve this God, God Almighty, because they are not experiencing abundant blessings in their own life at that given time. They're even more direct. And it's because they have the wrong mentality of what it means to serve God and to know God and to worship God. And they've begun to twist their religious practice and their faith into this idea of what is in it for me. They wanted to know what they could gain by serving this God. Verse 14, what did we gain by carrying out his requirements? In other words, what do we gain by our obedience to God? And what do we gain by, by going about like mourners? In other words, going around in this outward act of, of sorrow and repentance for their sin. And so they want to know, God, why are you not pouring out your blessings on us? Why is it not more obvious that we follow you and that the wicked don't by the the blessings and the provisions that we're experiencing compared to them? And so they had this payoff mentality of what it meant to follow God. What's in it for me? They approach their faith just like we approach business. What's in this for me? In other words, they had replaced the centrality of God in their worship with themselves. They were no longer concerned so much with how can I worship and how can I honor God and how can I I make God's name great They were much more concerned with what's in this for me. How can I gain from this? How can I be fulfilled in this? How can I be comfortable in this? How can I experience satisfaction in my religious practice? And this idea of self-centered religious worship and practice is still common today. Because human nature doesn't change. Mankind doesn't change. We stay the same. And we see it evident in a number of different practices in our own lives and in the lives of others. For example, we see people 
respond to the gospel message not out of overwhelming gratefulness for God's love and provision for us in Jesus Christ. Rather, people respond oftentimes because they want to gain heaven and not get hell. They want to get heaven, something for themselves, personal gain, and avoid hell. Or, instead of reading God's word because we want to know God and we want to worship God and we want to to learn about Him and to, to glorify Him, we often read it when it's convenient for us. Or when it feels right to us. Or perhaps sometimes we give to the church not because we want to see God's ministry expand and and, and faithfully carried out, but sometimes we might give because we think there's something in it to be gained by us, a blessing to be experienced by us. Or oftentimes we even choose and connect with a particular church or faith family, not because necessarily it's where God's word is faithfully taught or where his name is exalted, but But it seems like the best place at the time because it has the most to offer us and to meet our needs. But friends, worship is not about us. Worship is about God. God is central. God is central in the life of the church and in the religious practice of the people of God. It is about Him. It is not about us. Your life is not about you. It is about Jesus Christ and glorifying Him and exalting Him as we heard earlier this morning in our service. And I want us to see here from verses 13 through 15 that devotion to God includes trusting in the nature of God for the glory of God. Devotion to God includes trusting in the nature of God for the glory of God. Because if you know God, if you truly know Him, then you desire to be devoted to Him. And part of being devoted to Him involves trusting that He is who He says He is. That He is indeed the God of Scripture. That the things that He claims about Himself are indeed true. And that he is a just God. And he is a God that, whose very nature compels him to show compassion on his people because he desires to save his people. Not because they deserve it or not for their own glory, but for his glory. This is the God that we serve. A God that is just. A God that is gracious. A God that is compassionate. And rightfully worshiping Him and rightly knowing Him and being devoted to Him involves trusting that He is who He says He is. Biblical worship involves trusting God to save His people by His grace. Let's continue in the second half of this passage, verses 16 through 18. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. And the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. 
So we, we see this contrast set up between these two groups of people. Verses 13 through 15, we see these, these people that, that worship God or outwardly are devoted to God because they think there's something in it to be gained for themselves. And then on the other hand, in verses 16 through 18, we see this different group of people that twice in verse 16 is described as God-fearers. Those that desire to revere God and honor God. And give him his proper place in worship. This group of people that desires to honor his name, to exalt him, to lift him up. Revealing themselves as genuine believers, as genuine worshipers of God Almighty. And we see in verses 16 through 18 that God is faithful to his promise to save his people. God is faithful to his promise to save his people. Now look back at verse 16. It's this beautiful picture here. These people that are God-fearers. These genuine worshipers of God. It says that a scroll of remembrance was written in God's presence. Concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. A scroll of remembrance. A picture that's used to express theological truth. That, that God knows those that faithfully serve him and faithfully worship him and do so for the right reasons. But this is figurative language. Because God doesn't have to keep a written record to know who serves him and who doesn't. When we go to the grocery store, we we make a list to make sure that we don't forget something. And even if we, we think in our minds right before we go, this is what I need, this is what I need, this is what I need. If we don't make a list, chances are we're gonna forget something. Have you been there? I know I do. If I don't write it down, I forget it. But not so with God. He already knows everything. He doesn't have to go back and check the file. But the picture is here that that God remembers. He knows those who genuinely worship him, those who genuinely fear him, and those who, who do not. But what's being communicated is even stronger than that because the word used here for remembrance, scroll of remembrance, doesn't just mean recall. It's not as if God just tucks away this knowledge somewhere and remembers it so that he won't forget it. No, it includes action. And what it means is that God is going to act on behalf of those he remembers. He is going to act on behalf of those who faithfully serve and worship him. And this is sort of like Santa's naughty and nice list. Because when it comes down to it, we're not really concerned, or Johnny's not really concerned for the sake of of a label, whether or not he comes out as naughty or nice. But the reason he's concerned is because it means more than that. Because it determines whether or not he's going to get a good gift or not. The label is more than a label. It's a label that has repercussions in real life. And in the same way, God remembering his people, remembering those that are faithfully devoted to him, means that he is going to spare them his judgment At the day of his return, at the day of Christ's return, God will spare them judgment. He will spare them his wrath, his destruction, his judgment. 
that will be carried out, that will be poured out on those that do not faithfully serve him, those that do not know him, those that do not trust in him, that have not been forgiven by him. And it says here in verse 16 that that these God-fearers, these genuine worshipers honored God's name. They honored his name. And we've seen in our other times in God's word that that name in scripture means more than just a name. Like remember, it's more than just a label. It refers to, to the nature and the character of someone. And so when the Bible says that, that someone honored God's name, it, it means that they rightly knew God. They knew his character. They knew who he was, and they've rightfully declared who he was to others. And the character of God, the nature of God, is that he's just and he's gracious. He's just and he's compassionate. He's perfect and he's right and he's holy. And he's also merciful and loving. And because that's who he is, his people will be his treasured possession in verse 17. At the day of his return, they will be spared his judgment. They will be looked upon as forgiven, not because they deserved it, but because it was in his nature to show his compassion to them. And on that day, there will again be a distinction, verse 18, between those who serve God and those who do not. Genuinely, Worshiping God involves trusting that He is who He says He is. And His nature is compassionate. His Word tells us that He desires to spare His people. His Word tells us that He will make a distinction at His return between those who know Him, those who follow Him, and those who do not. God is unchanging. His nature stays the same. And because he has been faithful in ages past, as we've sung about this morning, we know that he will continually be faithful, that he will continually show compassion to his people because it's who he is. Biblical worship involves trusting God to save his people by his grace. And today we have an even greater understanding of the compassion and the love of God than the people in Malachi's day did because we have received the fulfillment of God's plan to graciously save his people through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ, the perfect, sinless lamb of God who was sacrificed on our behalf. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John chapter three, verses 16 and 17. Romans chapter three, verses 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Friends, if the Bible is true, if what's found in this book is true concerning the nature and the plans of God, and I believe wholeheartedly that it is, 
then God is a God of indescribable and unexplainable grace toward his people. But even so, in this life, we still experience the ramifications and the results of the fall of our own sin. And as a result, we still witness and experience injustice in this world, even among believers, even among Christians. The very thing that the Israelites were questioning in Malachi's day, we still see wicked people prospering. And we still see faithful believers suffering. But God is faithful. And we experience the results and the blessings of God's salvation, of his compassion, of his forgiveness in this life. Because when we trust in Christ for salvation, our status changes. Our relationships changes. Our relationship with God is restored in Jesus Christ. And that is reason to celebrate now, in this life, that we have peace with God now, in this life, even though we still witness injustice and even though we still experience injustice. God is faithful, and biblical worship involves trusting Him to save His people by His grace. He is a faithful God. Let's trust that he is who he says he is. Because even though we experience salvation in this life, we're still prone to wonder. Because we still deal with our own sin nature in this life. And, and we begin to look around and we see injustice. And, and we see things that, that we think we deserve and we're not experiencing it. And we're prone to doubt the promises of God, to question whether or not God is truly who his word says he is. But let's trust in his word. Let's trust that he is faithful. Let's trust that his word is true. Let's trust that he is an unchanging God. And because his word says that he will save his people, we believe that he will indeed save his people. Biblical worship involves trusting God to save his people by his grace. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Do you believe that that is who God is? That he is a God of mercy and grace and forgiveness that desires to save his people by his grace. Have you trusted in this God? Have you trusted in him that he is who he says he is and that he has acted on your behalf through the sacrifice of his son on the cross? Have you placed your trust in him to lead you, to guide you, to save you? Are you trusting in him today? He's a faithful God. And he deserves our devotion. He deserves our worship. He deserves our trust every step of the way. Let's pray together. Father God, once again, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for every day. We thank you for this day to gather 
in your name among your people and to worship you and to look at your word, Lord. And I pray that, that you've spoken to us through your word, Lord. We trust that, like you say in your word, that your word does not return void, that it accomplishes the purposes that you have for it, Lord. And I pray that that is true today. Lord, I pray that you continue to speak to us through your word. And as we leave this place in a few moments, Lord, I pray that our conversations and our thoughts and our actions will still be glorifying to you, that, we'll still, that they will still uh, express trust in you, that you are who you say you are, even if we don't always see you acting in the way that we would act and in our timing. Lord, we trust that, that you're a good God, that you're a just God, that you're a gracious God, and that by your grace you save your people. Lord, I pray that you would... Continue to be glorified in this service now, Lord, as we sing to you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.